Look at that. So that was full a minute ago. Yeah, the vessel came in uh, about 20 minutes ago. Half of the main deck is cleared already and they're discharging the upper deck. So how long will it be here before it goes back? This big ship from Felixstowe will only be in port for four hours. It's hard not to be impressed by the sheer scale and efficiency of a modern port. So there's 180 trailers on and there'll be 180 trailers going back on it. So any delay to the process will have an implication on the schedule for the week and also for the customer's turnaround of equipment. So does it essentially just go back and forth non-stop? Yeah. Night and day? Yeah, it's like a bus, basically. Blimey, so it's just a constant flow of stuff. And that stuff is food and flowers, clothing and plastics, basically anything you can think of. This is the sound of global trade, one lorry at a time. I'm Arnon Menon, and, rather tragically, watching Brexit unfold is what I do for a living. Keeping these ships and trucks moving is what Gavin Rice does for a living here in Rotterdam for DFDS, a Danish shipping company. So what brought you here from Britain? I've been working for the company for 19 years, passionate in shipping. I moved over with uh, family five years ago, nearby to Rotterdam. Do you sort of follow the whole Brexit debate quite closely at home? I watch as much as I can. So sort of standing here in the dock, surrounded by these ships, can you just give us a sense of what Brexit will mean for the scene around us? Change is probably the word that comes straight to mind. I want to try and understand that change. So I'm back on the road again, trying to figure out what Brexit means for our partners across the channel. This could be Rotterdam or anywhere, Liverpool or Rome, cos Rotterdam is anywhere. Some 18 months ago, I travelled Europe by rail for Radio 4 to discover what other member states thought about Brexit and how they planned to approach the negotiations. Now, as those negotiations, in principle at least, are about to turn to trade, I'm back, trying to understand what Britain's exit from the EU might mean for the commerce we all rely on. Is the issue of Brexit a live concern here? Is it something that bothers you day to day in your working life? Well, nowadays it is. Mark Dyke works for the Port of Rotterdam, Europe's biggest shipping hub and a main point of entry for goods coming into the European Union. His department is responsible, among other things, for maintaining links with the government in the Netherlands and authorities in the rest of Europe. Because of the sheer volume of trade that goes through this port, the Netherlands is particularly exposed to the effects of Brexit. Britain is Holland's second largest trading partner, and the Dutch government estimates that Brexit could cost this country 1.2% of its GDP by 2030. Yet, as he reveals, they're approaching Brexit with their trademark pragmatism. I must say that since the referendum, it has taken more than a year that really the debates started here in, in the Netherlands. First, it was only political. It was about Northern Ireland, it was about migration, and it was about the bill. And of course, very important issues, but then still the companies here in the port, there are around 3,000 companies here in this port area. You don't see it from here, but it stretches out for 40 kilometers to the North Sea. Those companies were not really aware of what was happening. On 29th of March 2019, we need to have all custom declarations in order, we need to have the inspections in order, all the administrative processes. And now you see that in the whole of Netherlands, this realization of that the Brexit actually is going to happen is widely spread and being accepted. And now it's the second phase, of course. What can we do to prepare that on the Brexit day, Rotterdam is the best prepared port in Europe so that we still have a sort of competitive advantage. 
It's easy to detect in his tone a profound sense of frustration. He simply does not know what Brexit will look like. And this uncertainty in turn means there's little option but to prepare for the worst. And that's not a transition period and not an internal market and not a customs union. So what we heard from the Dutch customs that in, only in the port of Rotterdam it needs 100 extra custom officers. In total of Netherlands around 600 to 900 custom officers. But it's not just customs, it's also fruit, vegetables, livestock that's been transported. So therefore also the food inspection agency needs to have veterinarians in place mm -hmm. to check the livestock, otherwise it can't be exported. All of which raises two problems. First, where to find the staff to carry out all these new checks? Well, and you see now a run somewhere in Eastern Europe that both the UK and Western European countries are looking for veterinarians who can be working in ports to be well prepared for this moment. So if you're an unemployed vet, I may have some good news for you. But even if the right people can be found, there's the perennial problem of money. Who's paying for this? Who's picking up the tab for the new customs arrangements, the new personnel? Is it the port itself? Is the government helping? Will the EU help you? Will the EU help us? That's, that's an interesting question. Well, we're looking now mainly to the Dutch government. They have to be equipped, and that's according to European law, that when there is a new border coming in place, and they have to have sufficient capacity to do the border controls. So it's their legal obligation to have these custom officers in place. The British government talks a lot about we will have frictionless trade, but we'll be outside the single market and the customs union. Do you see a way of that being possible? Well, I think that we can mitigate the effect, but it will never be the same as it was in the internal market. It will never be the same as the internal market. That's the crucial point here. No group of nations has come up with a better way of facilitating trade, of reducing friction, to use a phrase popular with the Prime Minister, than Europeans have with their single market and customs union. Leaving them will lead to extra administration at ports. Checks that do not now need to be made will have to be introduced. Obviously, there are ways of mitigating the effects. The British government is hoping technology might provide a partial solution. Pre-registration, number plate recognition and the like might all make things flow slightly more smoothly. But they're cutting it fine, introducing a new IT system at the start of 2019, one that has to work seamlessly with 27 other countries and which will have to be ready by the time we leave. Is this realistic? Um, Sceptical. I think with every organisation, the IT is, the dream is big. We're back inside the DFDS terminal on the vast Rotterdam quayside. Gavin Rice talks me through the practical implications that Brexit will have for his business. There will be a cost implication. If through customs clearance do we use agents, for example, do we as a company set up our own customs clearance manning? So we may need to change our, our business model. And we've only got 13 months to do that. It seems to me likely if the British government maintains the position it has and the European Commission maintains the position it has, Britain's going to look a bit like Canada in the sense that we'll be outside single market, outside the customs union. And then there's friction, isn't there? For sure, there will be. It's just depending how that will play out. This is what's a challenge today. There's a lot of discussions with the authorities, but it's just trying to prepare for the unknown, but we need to, to delay out everything and look at the threats and the opportunities. But there will be potentially risk of cost for the supply chain. The challenge might be if customs or the relevant authorities need to pull units to one side to inspect the goods, there is no location uh, in the proximity. It's up to 40 kilometres away. So, for example, on a hot sunny day, if units are pulled to one side with lettuce and vegetables and meats, there would be a long delay on these goods. Now, I'm adaptable. 
I reckon I can learn to love my steaks well done, and vegetables were always an optional extra. But firms that depend on trade might have to alter their approach more profoundly, rethinking how, and even with whom, they do their business. Uh, yes, we've had a few discussions. There's a few of our customers that are having to look at, for example, their own strengths of, of operating, for example, between Poland and Italy, or Poland and Spain or France, instead of UK being a core market. So I think customers are having to also think a little bit differently on worst-case scenarios. The trade is strong now, but people do need to have that plan B, just in case. Plan B, planning for the worst case, involves going back to a time before membership. It was different then. There was a lot of paperwork, a lot more staff, a lot of opportunity, which we will see also with duty-free, for example, on the passenger services. So for you, one of the opportunities of Brexit is the fact that you can have a booming duty-free trade on the cross-channel ferries again. There's always opportunities, yeah. Every cloud, as they say. I'm old enough to remember the unique ambiance of those alcohol-soaked cross-channel ferries. Yet above and beyond the return of the booze crews, there are real practical problems to be addressed. Another day, another port. Here we are at Calais. Another ferry is unloading a steady stream of lorries. This port has plans for a huge expansion based on increased lorry traffic through here. And this, of course, is the place in Europe where they are perhaps most worried about the implications of Brexit for trade. It's a place that relies on cross-channel commerce, cross-channel flows of people, an awful lot of activity here. But I have to wonder if they do introduce checks, there's no obvious place where the numerous vets or customs authorities can put themselves. And they're scratching their heads, wondering whether, with good fortune, Brexit can be arranged in such a way as to keep these flows going as they are now. So this is all totally new? That, that's, that is totally new. The today part is... Jean-Marc Puissesseau is president of the port of Boulogne-Calais. Of 3.2 kilometres, and today two kilometres are already built. He's giving me a virtual tour of the port's ambitious plans for expansion. He explains with the help of a huge photo hanging on the wall behind his desk. should be finished in January 2021. So are you worried when Britain leaves, a lot of this new space is going to be taken up with customs checks and all the things that we don't need now? Of course, we are very afraid. Can you imagine that today, through the port of Calais, import and export together 2 million trucks in a year in 2017? All trucks are checked for security to see if there is not illegal people in the trucks. That takes about four or five minutes. If for any reason there is customs controls, which take five or ten minutes more, can you imagine the queue and the slowdown of the traffic? I don't know how we are going to manage. So I do hope that all modern ways to register the goods before mm -hmm. the trucks leave their client will be declared and that when it will come in Calais, there will be electronic controls and goes further. So, once again, technology may provide a way to mitigate the delays that the increased border checks could bring. But mitigation isn't the same as elimination. And for his part, Jean-Marc still clings to the hope that politicians on both sides of the channel will start to display some flexibility when it comes to the Brexit negotiations. As he points out, it wouldn't be the first time the UK has been granted a special status by the EU. You still keep the pound and not the euro. So even during this period, there were special decisions. I think it's the advantage of no one to have this very strong and hard Brexit for the goods. I can understand that there was a majority for leaving Europe, but it's not a reason to kill everything. Business means employment, jobs. Yeah. 
jobs. Do you get a sense that you're running out of time to put the measures in place because there is no certainty about what's going to happen? Yes, because the port has been thought and designed without Brexit. And it's still going to be built like that. But if there is any controls so the import that we need more parking and so on, we have to change the organisation of the flow of the traffic. That will cost about 30 million. Who will pay? Uh, we don't know. And today, we don't know what to do and we still hope that nothing to change. Hoping nothing will change means hoping politicians will put the practicalities of trade before ideology. That, in the negotiations to come, economic common sense will triumph over both British red lines on the one hand and European attachment to a rigid conception of EU integration on the other. In front, there's some lobbying, some contact with politicians to explain then exactly how is the, the exchanges today between Great Britain and Europe through Calais. The politicians maybe they don't know exactly the situation and uh, they are more concerned maybe that Britain should pay for living mm. and so on and so on. That, that is a very small problem for them. So that is our responsibility to, to tell them how could be the consequences if they don't discuss and solve that problem. Some people worry that the political negotiation between Britain and the EU at the moment is a bit of a dialogue of the deaf, a dialogue des sourds, and that neither side is being sensitive to the other and so there won't be the sort of compromise that lets this work with as little friction as possible. I do hope that they will think and take some time to discuss of this because it could be a catastrophe. Catastrophal for you and catastrophal for, for France, for Europe and catastrophal for our ports. Jean-Marc believes that politicians across Europe simply don't get it. That, for instance, in continental Europe, they're willing to put the theology of integration ahead of the practical reality of the trade on which we all depend. He simply cannot see why political leaders would choose to impose economic costs on Kelly or other ports like it by forcing a Brexit that disrupts trade. First question, do you need England to export or not? Do you need to import from Europe or not? Or are you going to import from other countries what you were importing until today from Europe? If the question is yes, and you want to export and you need still goods from European, then everyone should try to find solutions. Yet, for all his hopes that a Brexit deal can be struck that keeps trade as frictionless as possible, Jean-Marc has to prepare his port for the worst. Because, like everyone else, he simply does not know where the negotiations are headed. So Calais like Rotterdam, is considering its contingency plans. We were thinking before Brexit to reach 3 million strikes a year in 2030 in Calais. That was the reason also of this new port. If we don't reach 3 million in 2030, we think, and we are working on that, maybe there will be a new composition of our traffic. So we have to adapt ourselves and maybe we will have new traffic, maybe to go directly from Calais to Ireland. That's also a solution to which we are thinking today. We will see, we are waiting, but it's time. Time indeed. The Brexit clock is ticking and there's an awful lot to get done. Something that worries us even more than you know, the different models being put on the table is the clear lack of preparedness by member states. Pauline Bastidon is the head of European policy at the Freight Transport Association. She works from Brussels to advocate for members who work in the freight trade. And, in case you're wondering... Freight is anything which is related to the movement of goods. So we actually represent all the different links in the supply chain, 
from the transport operators to the logistics organizers down to the companies that import and export goods, so manufacturers, retailers. We also have a lot of supermarkets in our membership. She and her members are also concerned about the practical problems Brexit might pose. And, as Brexit Day approaches, it's the lack of preparation by member states that worries her and the company she represents. It's not just about customs. You have other types of checks as well. So to give you a practical example, under EU rules, if you are carrying products with meat in them, it doesn't have to be you know, a piece of meat, it could be anything with some meat in them, physical checks might be required for a certain percentage of goods. And that might be anything from just opening the truck and checking that it is what it says it is on the tin to actually conducting analysis in the lab. And the other difficulty is that you don't have just one or two shipments on the truck. Very often you can have 30, 40, even 100 different shipments that have very different natures, that are from very different people. And, you know, while the paperwork and all the processes might be right for most of it, perhaps you'll have one or two shipments on that truck that will not be able to go through unless you have an agreement that finds ways of doing things differently. Yet it's not just the practical arrangements, or lack of them, that is a concern. Like Jean-Marc in Calais, Pauline is deeply alarmed by the apparent lack of awareness on the part of politicians about the damage a badly managed Brexit could inflict. All of this relates to one thing, which is political perception and the fact that if you listen to, for instance, Mr Macron in France, he seems to assume that there will be no consequences whatsoever for France. This is the pure UK problem. Let the Brits deal with this, because why should we care? For those stuck in the middle, like Pauline's members, there's palpable frustration with politicians on all sides. Where the EU has shown some rigidity, I would say, is in the sequencing uh, of negotiations. And while this is a process that might have worked really well with 10 years of negotiations, when you have just two years, it's led to some very worrying situations. I'll give you an example. If you don't have an agreement on road transport, potentially we could be forced to go back to a system under OECD uh, called the ECMT permits. And under this system, you would have a very limited number of permits that operators could use, not just in the UK. The same would go for EU hauliers. And when I say very limited, we think it would cover about 3% of the needs. So if you think, uh, you know, 100 trucks today, maybe only three would be able to cross the border in the future. Everyone agrees that this is not fit for purpose, that we have to avoid that, that it would be crazy to go back to that and so on. However, if you don't discuss it, if it's not on the agenda, and if the EU doesn't come up with a contingency plan, we could end up in this situation. It's a possibility. Once again, it's the lack of clarity that's causing the greatest frustration. Absent any clear sense of what a Brexit deal might look like, Pauline's members also have little choice but to plan for the worst. The biggest problem, I think, for our members is the uncertainty. And we talk to a lot of companies from different sectors, but they all say, the fact that, in legal terms, the only thing legal you have on the table is the letter sent by Theresa May back in March 2017, last year, saying that the UK was leaving the European Union. All of the rest, so far, is political promises, political agreements, until you actually have something on paper which is legally binding. As a company, it's very difficult to plan in a very good way. So what we understand most companies are doing 
is planning for the worst case scenario, for a no deal scenario in March 2019, because, well, you know, you can sort of assess that and know what it means. And if you're prepared for that, at least you can be prepared for anything else. From Brussels, I travelled northeast, yet another major port and a historic British ally. Gdansk, Poland's biggest port. I'm standing here in the early morning sunshine, staring across at three enormous statues, at the top of each of which is a huge ship anchor. Since it joined the European Union, Poland has increasingly opened up to trade, and this is the hub for much of that. We're standing opposite a massive, imposing building with the flags of various nations outside it. Behind it tower the cranes. This is the heart of Poland's trade with the rest of the world. Over in the distance there, we can see what actually is one of the world's largest container ships. So that ship can carry over 20,000 containers. If you were to stack all of those containers vertically, just one on top of the other, there'd be a column of containers more than 50 kilometers high. And then as we move around to the west here, this is our big berth. We've got five of the largest cranes in the world that are handling, as you can see, one of the largest ships in the world. That ship will be here for about uh, two days. And I think perhaps not many people realize that ships this big are coming direct from Asia and that just starts to show the vibrancy of this part of Europe. So this is trade-made flesh? Absolutely. I've been in the container industry for 30 years, and to me, this is actually every single one of those boxes has got something inside them. Every single one of those is goods for a supermarket or goods for a factory going in or out. When you see containers on a container terminal like this, this is actually trade happening right in front of us, and it's growing. Cameron Thorpe is the CEO of DCT Gdansk. I spoke to him in his office overlooking the port, one of the largest container terminals in the Baltic Sea. Unlike those I spoke to in Calais and Rotterdam, however, Brexit isn't really stressing him out at all. The majority of the business is, is actually this container terminal, which is all connected with deep sea, connection with Asia, and is actually a sign of the strong inward investment that's come into Poland. Do you get a sense that Brexit is in any way, shape or form a preoccupation for people here in the shipping trade? Uh, in a word, no. I haven't found it a preoccupation for anybody in Poland. Let's face it, Poland has its own battles to fight with the EU at the moment, so Brexit isn't a priority. It's becoming a hub, an access point into Europe for goods from around the world. So Brexit could represent an opportunity as much, if not more than, a challenge. If you're in Poland, you might be thinking that if the UK leaves the EU and a company's looking to invest and have access to the European market, then historically they've actually used the UK as, as the base for that. In the future, that company may say, well, let's look at Poland. We've got a, a relatively low labour cost, we've got you know, a very competitive market, and I can still access the European market from here. And in terms of infrastructure at ports like this, presumably you would need new infrastructure to deal with stuff coming from the UK that is then outside the customs union and the single market, or would you just stick it in the queue with the things that are coming from Asia? Yeah, essentially, if, and again, we are talking about a hard Brexit mm -hmm. scenario, then the UK just becomes another third-party country. And in fact, you know, potentially some of the countries that are already importing here that aren't within the EU already have bilateral trade agreements. If the UK doesn't have any of those in place, then we really are at the back of the queue. If the British government really is relying on countries like Poland to argue its corner and press for a trade deal that reduces friction as much as possible, it may need to revise its expectations. 
I think there are still strong links between Poland and the UK, but you're right. I mean, Poland is going to be caught between probably wanting to assist a long-standing ally and at the same time trying to keep a weather eye on, on its future and its own course within the EU and, and looking at what the other countries within the EU are, are hoping to achieve. So, for all the historical alliance and the close links between our countries, this is business. Indeed, insofar as Brexit is a concern at all here, it's a different kind of concern to those that we heard further west. Maybe the trade is important issue, but even more important issue in Poland is the situation of Polish migrants and their rights. My name is Marek Gawizowski. I work at the University of Gdańsk Institute of Political Science, and I specialize in European studies and international relations. There is a lot of vacancies in Poland, and there is a lot of highly qualified Polish staff at the moment in the UK. So even now, Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki has given an interview, and I think he's over-optimistic that within the next few years, about 100 to 150,000 Polish workers will come back and start working in Poland using that experience in Britain. What do you think would be the worst kind of Brexit outcome for Poland? If nobody comes back... <laughs> the Polish government has to be seen to protect the rights of its citizens in the UK. Equally, however, there's a sense here that, apart from providing opportunities for Polish trade, Brexit might mean that some of the best and brightest who left Poland right after it joined the EU might start to come home. There is a possibility to work out specific agreements and terms which are much more favourable than that we have now. But at the same time, we can have effects of Brexit which are unknown. We cannot predict everything because we don't know all these factors which will be known in two or three years' time. So concern about trade varies with distance from Britain. The further I travelled, the less trade mattered. But here, as elsewhere, the striking thing is no-one can be sure what's going to happen. Fingers are pointed at London, at European capitals and at Brussels. But the structure of the Brexit negotiations means traders are being forced to think through contingency plans for a worst-case scenario. And that is the one common factor that everyone repeats. Brexit means Brexit. But what does that mean? For now, we know that on the 29th of March, the UK is not a member of the European Union anymore. What is really going to happen then afterwards is hard to say. So Rotterdam is preparing for the worst. We're all trying to gear up to a hard Brexit, uh, worst case scenario. I think people feel that it's coming regardless and people are having to deal with it, but there's not as much concrete uh, discussion on what will change because the little facts are known on which direction we'll yeah. go. And frustration in Calais is clear. We are not belonging to the discussions. So what are they exactly discussing? What do they desire, what they abandon, what they wish, what they ask for? We don't know exactly, so we have to wait. Meanwhile, in Brussels... And I'm sure we have members that fall on all sides of the spectrum. What they want is clarity as soon as possible. That clarity might not be forthcoming as soon as Pauline or anyone else I've spoken with would like. After all, if a transition is agreed, this merely pushes back the date when the outlines of a trade deal take shape. It's clear they think that politicians on all sides, in the member states and in Brussels, as well as in Britain, are letting them down. Equally, in the face of uncertainty about where we're headed, her members and ports around Europe will continue to plan for the worst. Their shipping forecast really isn't great.